Talo for Lava. This is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susanna Suisuiki. Coming up. He always thought about others and put others first before himself. South Auckland says its final farewell to Fa'anana Efeso Collins. Also, deep sea mining is still a possibility in the Cook Islands. And later. They don't believe this is the, the best efforts that everyone can make. Protecting domestic fisheries is top priority for the Pacific at the World Trade Ministers' meeting. The funeral for the late Pacifica community leader and Greens MP Fa'anana Efeso Collins was held in Manukau, South Auckland. Fa'anana passed away last week whilst participating in a charity event. The Auckland-born leader of Samoan and Tokelauan heritage was 49 years old and had only just become a member of parliament in October last year. Whenau Whunua attended the funeral service of Fa'anana and spoke to those who knew him. It's hard to be poor. It's expensive to be poor. And moreover, public discourse is making it socially unacceptable to be poor. In his maiden speech to Parliament two weeks ago, Fa'anana reiterated his unwavering stance on protecting the square pegs, advocating for beneficiaries and the principle of what he called bridging the gap between the haves and have-nots. Less than a week later, on February 21st, Fa'anana passed away after collapsing at a children's charity event. His passing prompted an outpouring of tributes and condolences, including from New Zealand's Prime Minister Christopher Luxon, who called Fa'anana, quote, a good man, always friendly and kind. His niece, Chelsea Collins, says Fa'anana was a man devoted towards helping others. He was very giving and generous, and we admired his selflessness. He always thought about others and put others first before himself. For his supporters, Fa'anana's passing is made more tragic because of his absence in advocating policies for New Zealand's disadvantaged. In his election campaign last year, Fa'anana was vocal about implementing greater policies to lower living costs, such as free tertiary education, free public transports, and universal basic income. One attendee at the funeral, Michael Mulipola, says his supporters feel they've lost a voice for change. Everyone was hopeful for the work that he was going to be doing as a politician in Parliament. So to see that kind of tragically uh, cut short, that's why everyone's gathered here, because we were so filled with hope. And that hope hasn't died with the passing of Fessel. That hope has been passed on all the young people that he inspired. Gospel music, poems and speeches were made at his service where hundreds gathered. Fa'anono, who once opposed same-sex marriage, credited his niece's revelation as transgender in 2013 as a pivotal shift in his religious views. Noticeable at the service were high school students and young public servants. A former colleague attending his funeral, Damien Pi'ilua, says Fa'anana went out of his way to uplift others. From as long as I've known him, he's always made an effort to bring people up with him. And yeah, I think that's a legacy that everybody here will share uh, moving forward in our own spaces that we'll all go back to. Paulo Freire in his seminal work, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, said love is an act of courage, not fear. Love is a commitment to others 
No matter where the oppressed are found, the act of love is a commitment to their cause, the cause of liberation. For Anana Faso Collins is survived by his wife and two children. The Cook Islands has just finished its second year exploring the ocean to see if deep-sea mining is still a possibility. Deep-sea mining involves extracting potato-sized rocks sitting on the seafloor kilometres below the surface. The rocks are called nodules and are packed with valuable metals like nickel and cobalt, often used for electric car batteries. Alex Herman from Cook Island Seabed Minerals Authority says the country has known about nodules since the 1970s. She says the government in the last 20 years has taken more active steps to sustainably develop the resource. But Ms Herman told Caleb Fotheringham it's too early to call if deep sea mining will actually take place. At this point, it's really important to be crystal clear that the Kohalans government is only allowing exploration. We have not made any decisions about whether we will allow mining or minerals harvesting to go ahead in the future because we currently don't have enough information and data to make a science-based decision. So for the time being, we're allowing exploration. That is a well-known activity that's been undertaken for decades now. We do not allow mining or minerals harvesting within our waters, and that's because we take a science-based and precautionary approach. I think that in the past, there may have been some media reporting internationally that the Cook Islands has already predetermined or made decisions in this regard, and I think this is good to, to make that clear. I suppose with the exploration, the goal for the companies would be to eventually mine if they can do it. Two years has gone by. Have you got any indication if mining is likely to happen or unlikely, or is is it still too early to say? So we've been very clear with the license holders that were granted exploration licenses. Getting an exploration license does not guarantee that you will then in the future be successful with obtaining a mining license. They're all clear on that, and they all understand that the onus is on them to show to the Cook Islands government and people and satisfy us that they will be able to commercially extract nodules from our waters in a way that is environmentally safe and economically feasible. In terms of indications as to whether we will will not progress to the next phase, yes, I think it's a little too early to be making any indications on that. There's been a lot of commentary from NGOs, but also other countries and a lot of other countries, they talk about a moratorium in the high seas. So a little bit different, obviously, for the Cook Islands context, but a moratorium nonetheless. What's your view on people calling for a moratorium? Well, the Cook Islands has been quite clear on this issue. We fully respect every country's sovereign right to their own views, to their own positions. That's quite a fundamental right and one that we respect. So countries will assess this issue. They'll take their political positions as they see appropriate, um, and we respect that. Likewise, we would also ask that countries respect the Cook Islands' own sovereign decision-making that we are doing. We're clear that we're taking a precautionary approach. We're clear that our actions are well in line with the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea. So we just ask that reciprocal respect. And I think that's something that's been happening recently. How much 
of an economic benefit could deep sea mining be to the Cook Islands? We're aware that if there is a decision to move to the harvesting phase, potential economic benefits might be around fiscal tax benefits as far as royalties and tax taxes um, on the activities. At this stage, we want to continue to focus on exploration. We don't want to get ahead too ahead of ourselves. We are aware that there are potential economic benefits um, if the sector does progress to the harvesting phase. I know we obviously don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but I imagine that would have had to be looked into because the Cook Islands are still putting in resources even in the exploration phase. I mean, do you have any sort of indication of how much money could be brought in? So over the years, we have been working with international organisations and receiving expert technical advice. And that's on a number of issues, including our fiscal regime. So there has been some internal modelling done for the Cook Islands government. We do think it's too premature at this stage to discuss any of those figures that have been um, put together, but we do have some indication of what that might look like. But again, we consider it too premature to to start to talk about that publicly until we have a better sense of how this um, sector is going to progress. Now, when we look at the exploration phase and potentially the uh, minerals harvesting phase, yes, there is a, a focus or there is an interest on the potential economic benefits. Now, the Cook Islands government is quite clear. We see that there are a number of benefits through this exploration phase. And I talked about the knowledge and research advancement. Other areas include the benefits to our Cook Islands people. We're seeing a lot of capacity building happening. We're seeing training opportunities. We're seeing scholarships being offered for Cook Islands people. So there is actually quite a wide range of benefits happening during the exploration phase. And also we're seeing the use of goods and services. So we're quite pleased that the anticipated benefits that we expected through the exploration phase um, are, are coming to fruition. Um, but we're also clear that if there isn't a clear path and if we can't make a science-based decision on whether we move to the harvesting phase, we won't go there. So the government has been very clear about that from the outset and we'll continue to ensure that we're making science-based decisions. Protecting domestic fisheries is high on the agenda for Pacific Island nations at the latest meeting of World Trade Ministers. The 13th Ministerial Conference, or MC13, involving members of the WTO, or World Trade Organization, is being held in Abu Dhabi, the United Arab Emirates. Adam Wolfenden is there on behalf of PANG, the Pacific Network Against Globalization, and he spoke with Don Wiseman. The WTO has its biannual uh, ministerial conference, and often the agenda is set by the general council of the WTO in the in the months prior to to the ministerial happening. This time around, there's a number of issues on the table. Fisheries subsidies negotiations is is one of them. There's agriculture uh, is still on the table. There's a whole range of procedural internal matters within the WTO that you know are on the table to be addressed, as well as some. Other questions around negotiation areas like on e-commerce, domestic services regulation and investment facilitation that are you know, quite controversial but are 
being discussed here this week? So as far as the small Pacific Island nations go, and these are the groups of countries that we're concerned with, and I guess Mm -hmm. you are as a member of PENG, agriculture and fisheries are going to be critical issues for them. What are they saying? Fiji in particular has made a number of strong statements ahead of the ministerial, calling for a strong outcome on fisheries subsidies negotiations. But while saying that, a commented that the current text that was brought to the ministerial is quite unbalanced. They're concerned that it won't meet the sustainable development goal mandate that was set for the WTO to deal with this matter. And they, I think the comment was that they don't believe this is the, the best efforts that everyone can make. And so, and the reason why Pacific Island countries are so concerned around fisheries subsidies is that the revenue and the importance of, of fisheries to the Pacific, both at a governmental level, but also for the livelihoods of Pacific Islanders is enormous. And the immense scale of that for the Pacific means that they're very much wedded to finding an outcome that deals with the problems of overfishing and overcapacity, but also doesn't burden them or prevent them from being able to develop their own domestic fleets to fish their resources and create a a development pathway built on fisheries. I understand from comments I've read from the various trade ministers that are there that there's a lot of concern about the WTO attitude toward small agricultural production as well in, in these small countries that they had wanted to get a fair go and are being stymied. Yeah, it, it feels like there's not much going to happen. Not much will move on agriculture, particularly for the issues that have been uh, advocated for by a lot of the major sort of agricultural, a lot of the countries that rely on agriculture to feed their populations, particularly India and others. And their concerns relate to the ability to ensure that their populations are fed or you know, receive a reasonable price for, for the produce that they make. And you know, this, this is an issue that has been controversial in the WTO for quite some time. And it's controversial in the way that it's not being addressed. The demands have been quite clear from a lot of developing countries and their needs have been clear. But we see a lot of intransigence from the big subsidizing nations like the US and the EU. They have zero interest in seeing much movement in this area. Now, we're hearing from civil society organizations that unlike other meetings of the WTO, they're being shut out. And there was something of a protest today. Well, there's a lot of concern around the way that civil society is being treated here in Abu Dhabi. Uh, A lot of the activities that we've normally been able to do in previous ministerials and even very like low level activities like providing leaflets to journalists that we know, taking banners or, you know, being able to directly engage in advocating for our issues has been restricted. And there's a lot of uncertainty and a lack of clarity around what the security situation is with, you know, colleagues being detained for handing information to journalists, for taking photos. And we've sent a letter to to the WTO Director General. I know this has been raised by a number of governments, including New Zealand. The concerns around the way civil society participants are being treated, and yet there's still no clarity. And if anything, it feels like the way that we are being dealt with by local security is escalating. And there's a lot of concern around uh, for participants for our safety within the convention centre. Is it being driven by the UAE government in that sense? 
are they taking charge of security? Every ministerial requires an agreement between the WTO and the host country. And I think part of the issue is that there's been a real lack of clarity or lack of certainty that's been established between those two parties. The WTO had sent out a document to civil society participants informing us of some of what was possible, including being very clear that we can take photos both within and outside the venue. And we've already found immediately that that's not the case. And I think that it's incumbent on the WTO to make sure that the safety and the rights of the participants to its conference are upheld. And if it can't guarantee the safety, then we would question whether or not the meeting should continue until that can be done. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rndi.com slash programs. We're also on Spotify, Apple and iHeartRadio. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, to Fasui Fuwa.